Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Everyone, welcome to Mom Jeans. Today we are going to touch on how to nurture and nourish yourself as a mama by discussing the definition of nourishment and introducing you to the concept of nurturing your body by your inner mother. As a mom, we can comfort and nourish constantly, and we often wonder how we comfort and nourish ourselves. We might find comfort in friends or partners, or we might find comfort in muffins and coffee, and sometimes we can turn to our own mothers for that comfort. As mothers, we are constantly giving and struggling to find time to take. We also struggle with guilt when we take or negative connotations about spending time to rest or relax and carve out time for ourselves based on our own upbringing. Nourishment is even deeper than those external comforts because it is a concept of using language, internal processes, and a spiritual connection to help foster self-care and balanced living. The theory we are going to discuss today is how to tap into your inner mother to find ways to appropriately identify your needs and meet your needs, regardless of any external factors like relationships, food, family dynamics, etc. So the Women's Network describes this theory in this way. Quote, our inner child lives inside of us and still searches for the things we never received from our mothers as children. We often look to someone in our adult life to meet those unmet needs, such as our romantic partner. This is an impossible role for someone to fulfill, and these dynamics keep us stuck, making it impossible for us to become the women we're meant to be. End quote. This stuff makes me so excited, I could talk all day. Some of you may have eyes glazing over or will stop listening by now, but please hang in there. Getting in touch with your emotions is a key ingredient to healing your relationship with food and your body image. So if you are here to learn to love your genes, you gotta learn how to love your feelings and honor your intuition. We are honored to have one of the most influential authors in the field of healing your relationship with food named Anita Johnston who wrote the book Eating in the Light of the Moon. We brought her on because she touches on healing your relationship with food by understanding concepts of nourishment and learning to mother yourself. You know I like the science and the concrete stuff, so here are a few definitions of nourishment that we found. Nourish is a very rich word because it has a kind of literal and metaphorical sense to it. We literally nourish ourselves with food but we nourish our spirit, we nourish our culture, we nourish our community. You can feed yourself in many, many different ways. And that was by Michael Pollan. Jamie Oliver from the Food Network said, nourish to me is nourishing food, nourishing your family, nourishing your life. When you eat and you're fulfilled, it physically and chemically makes you happy. According to Collins Dictionary, if something provides a person animal or plant with nourishment it provides them with the food that is necessary for life growth and good health 
Those are all some great quotes to just have you realize how complicated this concept of nourishment is. So here's a quote from Anita Johnson's book to get you excited about our interview with her. There are really two different kinds of hungers, those that come from the stomach and those that come from the heart. The hunger of the stomach must be satisfied with food, but the hunger of the heart must be satisfied with love, with emotional nourishment. Only when a woman opens up and allows herself to feel the full force of her emotions can she then experience her feelings as gateways to wisdom and guidance rather than a stumbling box to be overcome. We hope you all enjoy her as much as we enjoy talking with her. Let's go to our interview with Anita now. Well, welcome to Mom Jeans, Anita. Thank you so much for joining us. A little background for you all. Anita Johnston is a psychologist, storyteller, and author of Eating in the Light of the Moon, How Women Can Transform Their Relationships with Food Through Myth, Metaphor, and Storytelling, which has been published in six languages. She has been working in the field of eating difficulties and body image distress for over 35 years and is currently the clinical director of IPONO Hawaii, which has residential treatment program in Maui and outpatient eating disorder programs in Honolulu and the Big Island of Hawaii. She is executive director of eating disorder programs for the Integrative Life Center in Nashville. She's the co-creator of the Light of the Moon Cafe, an interactive e-course, women's circle, and online workbook for eating in the Light of the Moon. Dr. Johnson provides virtual individual consultations and conducts workshops around the world. She is best known for integrating metaphor and storytelling into her training as a clinical psychologist to explain the complex issues that underlie struggles with eating, exercise, and body image. Thank you again for joining us. I was introduced to you back when I started in the eating disorder field, and I've heard you speak a few times, and those workshops are so powerful. They're my favorite thing. So thank you so much for doing them. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and see you again. Yeah. Why don't you give us a brief background of your work in this field that I did not cover yet, and what makes you passionate about helping people heal their relationships with food? Well, I've been around for a long time, so I'll try to make this brief, but I've just always been interested in uh, women's issues. That's how I, how I got started, and this is years ago in the early 1980s when I was supervising a doctoral student who was doing her uh, dissertation on eating disorders in Hawaii. And back then, there was very little that was known. There was a little bit of research. There was minimal treatment available. And so as we talked about it, we were joined by another woman who had struggled herself with her own eating difficulties and recovered. And we kept saying, gosh, everyone's struggling. There should be a center for this. And after we said it for about the fifth time, we looked at each other and we went, okay, I guess we're it. So that was in 1982. And since then... It was one of those things you build it and they come. And so women of all ages, all ethnicities, all sizes, all kinds of struggles with all different kinds of eating difficulties showed up. And so I just became very curious about it. First of all, why was it women and girls that were showing up? Second of all, why these particular girls and women? And third, why was the struggle around eating and food and their bodies? And so that was the beginning of my getting very curious about that. And um, I, you know, what I have ultimately discovered um, and, and believe very strongly is those folks that have these struggles and get on the recovery path are the folks the world has been waiting for because they carry with them 
uh, an innate uh, sensitivity that when they're struggling with food and eating, it works against them. But once they learn how to work with their emotional sensitivity and their keen intuition, they, they have um, a level of empathy and compassion that the world is in a great need of right now. So, so that's why I keep doing the work. It, I just love, love the work, love the people I meet when I do it. And so um, it gives me great joy. I love that. So as we quoted in your bio, you're known for your beautiful book, Eating in the Light of the Moon, where you infamously use metaphors to help people understand their relationship with food. So I'm hoping you can share with our listeners one of your favorite metaphors that you feel stands out as one that moms would really relate to regarding how to learn how to nourish themselves. Wow, metaphor for mothers. Um, Well, actually, the whole struggle with eating is a metaphor for mother and mothering and nourishment. And so um, I, I like to look at the giant metaphors, the, the, the metaphors that cross all culture and all time that are called archetypes. So, so um, this is a term coined by Carl Jung and he, he was looking for universal concepts that if you could go all the way into the future, um, you would find, and if you go all the way into the past, and if you go to any any uh, culture on the planet, you would find it. And one of those concepts is mother, right? Um, you would find the concept of mother um, across all time, all culture. And so for me, it's such a powerful concept when working with eating difficulties, but I, I take it a little further, and rather than looking at mother as a noun, I look at it as a verb, mothering. So if you think of what is mothering as a verb, it's nurture, comfort, soothing. Um, and and the, the problem is for, for um, most of us, because we live in such a literal culture, we don't understand symbolic archetypal language, when we're needing to be nurtured and comforted and soothed, we, we might turn to our biological mothers or the women who raised us. And if they're not available or if they're not capable or if they're not even on the planet, we feel that we have to go without. Or we reach for the concrete physical symbol, the metaphor of mothering, which is food. <laughs> right? And, 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 and this is where the body-mind meets, because if you think of our very first experience on the planet, when we're in distress, ah, we're given either the breast or the bottle, and we go, oh. So we're hardwired for this. Um, and we know it, we see it in our language, because we say, oh, it's comfort food for me. We know exactly what you're talking about when you use that term, comfort food. So that's metaphoric right? Um, But the problem then becomes if that's the only way you know how to get mothering energy is to turn to food, you're either going to have a struggle with eating food compulsively, or you're going to get so freaked out because it seems like the bottomless pit and you're not going to want to eat and put yourself on a diet. So for me, that's a giant, giant metaphor um, that all of us can relate to a uh, male, female, whatever our gender happens to be. Or, um, but for mothers in particular, <laughs> because then the question is who's gonna, where's, 
the mother going to get her mothering? Right. That was my first thought. I'm like, because you guys just saw what happened. I'm like multitasking, waiting for the babysitter to come. I feel a little chaotic. You're very soothing. I'm excited for this, but I'm like, who's going to mother yeah. me? I'm tired. <laughs> I, I'm tired. I need a... I need to go to a spa or something. The spa will mother me. Right. And, and But what happens, and this happens for, for all of us, but like I said, in particular for mothers, because we get depleted. I mean, we're putting out so much mothering energy. Where are we taking it in? It's sort of like writing checks and not making deposits, right? Pretty soon, there's going to be trouble. Um, and, and for many of us, I mean, I certainly remember when I was raising my babies, um, my body took the hit. I was so exhausted. Uh, but then I'd also start to feel really crazy or maybe really angry. Like, oh my God, I can't, I don't have anything left to give. And so that's what typically happens. Unfortunately, because we live in a culture that does not provide adequate understanding or support of mothering as an energetic. So um, one of my very favorite things to do, and uh, I do this with individual clients and with patients in my facility and um, people that are in my online programs, is we work on creating an inner mother um, that, that functions as that resource that can either provide for you the mothering you want and need or direct you towards the source of that for you. Because when, when you look at mothering as an energy, um, it's archetypal, which means it's available always, everywhere. But if you don't understand the energetic signature, you're not going to recognize it. You're not going to know where to find it. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to receive it. So you can get mothering from your husband. You can get mothering from your dog. You can get mothering from a coworker or a, a neighbor. You can get mothering from Mother Nature. I mean, there's a reason we say Mother Nature or Mother Earth. We don't say Father, Father Nature, Father Earth. Why is that? You see, because at a deep level, we understand it as a source of energetic mothering, of nurture, comfort, nourishment um, um, that sustains us. So. So I, I think what has to happen for all of us, um, but especially mothers and especially those who struggle with eating difficulties, is we have to create a strong inner mother so that we can resource that and we can get it uh, and receive it. So that for me is it's like a really cool thing to do. Um, and it's, it's not about blaming mothers. And I have to say this because I sometimes got really excited about a blog I had written about mothering. And um, there are a bunch of people that didn't understand that I was talking about an energy and they thought I was blaming mothers. And it's like, oh my gosh, no, this is to get mothers off the hook because, you know, we can't be the only source of mothering for our children either right? We have to teach them how to find mothering energy. Um, and I was fortunate enough, I, I grew up in a, 
and a culture that, that had its roots in a strong matrilineal culture. And then I grew up in a household of, of strong women and I had multiple mothers. And um, uh, it was so useful for me to realize, oh, I need this kind of mothering, I go here. I need that kind of mothering, I go there. So when I was a mother myself and I did not have that kind of support system at all, um, I would, I would, I was, I'm from the island of Guam. And so I went home once with a, my firstborn was very colicky, four months. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> she either ate, slept or screamed. And, and I, I, I went home for the holidays and, and my husband said, Lisa, why don't you just go a little early? And I went, yeah, okay. And it was, I had forgotten what it was like just to, to have all these open arms, say, give me the baby, give me the baby. And then they would soothe the baby. And I just go, Oh my God. God, I can, I have a moment. So, so those resources aren't available these days for most mothers um, in our, in our bonded culture. I think back, like back in the day, tribal days where the moms would have a circle of women and it was tribal women and other moms would feed the baby and they would support each other and but we I mean, don't we don't have that now we don't have it as accessible we have to go find it like we have to find those support groups or our peers or whatever so but it's not ready made and there's energy that's required to go find it or, or to go create it even with the play groups and and you know so i grew up that way but when it came time for me to do my mothering i was terribly isolated and yeah that's what i had to do is i had to find and create my own circle but more importantly i had to create my own inner mother so that so that i would be able to recognize what that energy feels like and what it looks like. Um, and, and when you're in a state of depletion, ooh, it's pretty hard. And it's like, give me the muffins. You know? yeah. right? Give me, <laughs> well, it is because that's kind of mm, the one resource that's hardwired in there uh, any longer. Uh, so of course we find ourselves turning to food. And, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's only a problem when that's your one trick pony, when that's all you got. And that kind of flips us into that previous episode of Your Food and Feelings, where we really talk about like this, the food can't be your only coping skill. Um, and that flows us into our kind of next question and topic that how would you define nourishment? So if we're encouraging others to not just solely nourish ourselves through food, how would you define that? What would nourishment be? Yeah, well, I think you have to understand, um, again, we're, we're kind of handicapped because we're, we're a culture that doesn't have much language for this. So, you know, just like the, the Inuits will have all these different words for snow and we've got one, right? And, 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 and in island cultures, there's all different ways of describing different kinds of rain. We say rain, right? So, um, so it is for nourishment. And, and I think we have to understand there are many, many kinds of hungers. Um, and, and so I divide them into two camps, pretty much, to, just to make it easy. Um, what I call you know, physical hunger, um, and, and that's where, what we have to fill with food. But then there's emotional and spiritual hungers that require um, emotional, spiritual nourishment, I call it soul food. And so what happens because we're in such a literal culture, we get the two confused. We think there's only one kind of hunger and we start feeling a need um, for 
for emotional nourishment or support, and, and we, we turn to some physical source for that. And so the way I would describe nourishment it, it is um, it covers all bases. There's, there's physical food, but there's also soul food. And um, those are things like attention, affection, appreciation, um, meditation even is nourishing. Um, uh, so uh, prayer is nourishing. So understanding that there's so many kinds of nourishments, the, the nourishment that we need, and we have to kind of match it up. You have to first find out, well, what is, my, what is the hunger that I'm feeling? Because that's going to point you towards the kind of nourishment you need because no amount of food will ever fill full soul hunger. And you call that getting back into attunement with your body, which is such a great term because you're asking listeners to say, do a good assessment of what all your physical needs are and then do that second assessment of what your body's internal wisdom is saying and what your emotional state is so that you can then say, wow, what... What do I truly need? Do I need comfort? Do I need rest? Do I need someone to see me? Because the muffin won't see me. It'll, it'll feel comforting in a, for a second and it will fill my physical hunger, but it's not going to actually say, I see you and I see how exhausted you are and I give you a hug. So if we have that true feeling and that true need, then we have to look at how do we get that need met. Right. And that's why I have people, like I say, okay, use it. And we do this with our imagination, right? In our culture, again, we dismiss imagination as always just your imagination. It's, it's one of the most powerful forces we have. Um, if you look around the room, there's nothing in that room that you're in that wasn't first imagined before it came into physical form. Someone had to imagine that chair, um, even the clothes that you're wearing, um, everything, you know, came out of someone's imagination before it became physical. So it, it's a powerful um, uh, quality and attribute that we have, but we use it improperly. A lot of people say to me, oh, I don't have a good imagination. I go, what do you think worry is? <laughs> right? Worry is a bad use of a good imagination. Oh so, yes. <laughs> so I have people imagine and, and, you know, fancy terms, two tanks, tank A, tank B. Tank A is the tank you fill when you need physical nourishment. You fill it with food. Tank B is the tank you fill when you need emotional or spiritual nourishment and you fill it with those kinds of things like attention, affection, appreciation, acknowledgement, all of that sort of stuff. And well, what happens is we think there's just one tank. And so before we know it, um, um, we're full. Tank A is over, overflowing and we're still hungry because it's tank B that needs to be filled. So you have to learn to tease the two apart. And the way you do it is exactly what you were talking about, where you, you tune into your body and you find your physical hunger and satiety signals, right? Because that's going to tell you, oh, that tank A. But if you're reaching for the pizza and you check in and there's not a physical hunger in sight, Oh, you just tumbled down Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole, landed smack dab in tank B, where no amount of food will ever provide the nourishment you're hungry for. So, so, so the question then to ask yourself, the first question is, what's the feeling I'm trying not to feel? Because that's going to clue you in. Um, we don't eat for emotional reasons. We eat because we won't, don't want to feel our emotions because we don't know what to do with them or they're too intense or they're too overwhelming or they're too scary or they're too painful or whatever. So you ask yourself, what's the feeling I'm trying not to feel? 
and you do a scan of your day, it's like, okay, am I still ticked off at the jerk who cut me off on the freeway? Or am I worried about an upcoming parent-teacher meeting? Or am I annoyed at something my husband said? Or am I feeling concerned about a comment that my coworker made? Or you do a scan of your day. But more often than not, what happens is the answer is going to be, hmm, I don't know. I feel fine, right? Because we're not aware of it. It's not in our consciousness. It's a different kind of hunger that we're not aware of. And so um, when you get to that place and you can't find the hunger, here's the good news. The food will tell you. The food will tell you what you're hungry for. It's talking to you, but it's talking to you in code. It's talking to you in metaphor. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say how to crack the code. This is pretty tell simplistic <laughs> because it's, um, you know, we're all different as, as, our, as our thumbprints. But, but this is a way to get started to think metaphorically because if, if you're reaching for the pizza and you check in, there's not a hunger signal in sight. You know it's not physical hunger and you know that it's, a hunger for something else, but it's out of your conscious awareness. So it works kind of like this. Sweet, and oh, for, for your listeners, if they're wanting, um, they don't have to scribble this down. There's a PDF they can, they can oh, download. Cool. That, that's the lightofthemooncafe.com um, forward slash MG for Mother Jeans, right? <laughs> we will link that in the show notes for everybody. Anyhow, here we go. So Sweet foods have to do with either feeling like you're not sweet enough or there's not enough sweetness in your life, Mm. right? Crunchy, salty foods typically have to do with unexpressed anger and frustration. (laughs) You're going to bite someone's head off, right? Um, uh, Warm foods typically have to do with a longing for or craving for emotional warmth, like stews stews and soups and stuff. Spicy foods are typically uh, connected to uh, either a fear of or a longing for excitement, stimulation, and change. And chocolate, we know this from Valentine's Day, sensuality, sexuality, romance, mm-hmm. right? So, so the, the way it works is, um, for example, I was working with a client and she... Um, she struggled uh, with, with bulimia. And I asked her, I said, okay, what if there were one food that you wished you could eat that had no consequences whatsoever, none, what would that be? And she said, oh, vanilla ice cream with, with strawberries on top. And I said, okay, I want you to imagine, we're using the faculty of imagination, uh, I've never had a vanilla ice cream with strawberries on top, and you're going to tell me what's so fantastic. And she said, well, it's sweet, and it's smooth, and it's refreshing. And when we took a look at what was going on in her life, her boyfriend was accusing her of not being sweet enough. She'd hit a really rough patch with her parents that she was desperately wanting to smooth out. And she was in a dead end job in need of a refreshing change. So it was just like one food and six months of work. (laughs) She knew where she needed to go to really give her the nourishment that you want. Yeah, I think it's, I'm glad that you kind of brought in that time frame because I think people that are listening may be like, well, do I have to do a evaluation right now and I can't figure it out? Like this is awareness and work that takes time. You know, it's like that, that client and you did some processing for six months, however many sessions that was. It's, it's not like it's just like 
snap your finger, here we go. Oh, duh, here it is. You know, it's well, that can happen in the sense of awareness, right? It's like, because once you bring that particular hunger into awareness, it's like, oh my God, I got it. I, yeah. I could have had a V8, right? Or whatever. <laughs> right. So, so the awareness can happen in a, in a split second. However, then there's the, the skill set that's involved with feeding that particular hunger, right? I mean, if 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 you are eating chips all the time, uh, and and I become aware, like, oh yeah, you know, I can't stand, you know, this job that I have. Um, okay, now you understand that it's about the job, and it's not about the calories and the chips, and and, and that you need to put your focus, you know, towards. Okay, now what's the skill set you're going to need to either um, ch- shift the situation at work? leave your job, find a different job. I mean, there's a lot involved, but at least you know the problem isn't that you like chips too much. The, the chips are showing you places where you're frustrated and maybe don't quite know how to resolve the situation. Right. And I find with my work with clients that a lot of times we start with tank A and help people get into attunement with their physical hunger, but then we get to tank B and they don't have that skill set. And that goes back to your mothering at the mother concept where if they didn't have that comforting relationship with the mother or the mother accused them of being too needy and too emotional all the time, then they actually don't know how to listen to their intuition because they think their intuition is too much. Or if they have- Or crazy. Or crazy, yeah. <laughs> or just crazy. Or unreliable. Okay. And then if they have the mother that was distant, maybe neglectful, didn't own her feelings very well mm-hmm. then they're going well I was never modeled what feelings were and how to listen to them so I think I love that metaphor because it helps people identify a little bit more what in tank B is missing and then they have to do all that beautiful work of looking back and learning well where in that mother archetype did I not learn the skills I need in order to accurately fill tank B for myself. And and a lot of us have the wicked stepmother. Now, this is not a diss on stepmothers. I'm referring to the archetype in fairy tales of the wicked stepmother that sends you out into the woods totally unprepared or or, or gives you only a crust of bread to eat or or makes you sweep the, you know, you don't get to go to the ball, right? You have to sweep the chimney and, and clean the house kind of thing. So we have those kind of internal mothers that say, well, you, you should get over it or what's wrong with you or why you feel, you know, we've got some pretty harsh, you know, inner stepmothers as well. And so one of the things that I do to help people find how to create their own inner mother is that I have them list three things that you wished your mother had given you and didn't. Now, again, this is not a, 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 a diss against your mother. The, the, the reality is none of us none of us ever are perfect. None of us are perfect. And none of us ever got the perfect mother. Right. So if you, again, so that's archetypal. If you could go, we're all just trying, you know, it's like we're trying to do our best. There's no such thing as the perfect external mother. Um, And so for me, that's archetypal. Uh, And so uh, the way my mind works is I go, well, whose idea was this? Right. (laughs) Right. It's like, oh, great. Send me to this three dimensional reality called Earth. And then you give me an imperfect mother. Right. That's not going to give me what I want, when I want it, how I want it, as much as I want and none of the nonsense I don't want. So it doesn't happen 
to any of us. Some score better than others, to be sure, but nobody gets the perfect mother. And so for me, then the big question is, well, then why is it? If it's archetypal, that means there's got to be a reason for this. And the answer that I come up with is, because that's our job. Our job is to create the perfect mother inside of ourselves. Because um, we're the only ones that can do it. Because we're the only ones that know exactly what we want and, and when we want it and how we want it and, and all the stuff we don't want. So to create that is then the work. And the task is you begin with your external mother. It's sort of like I'm old enough to know that when we used to take photo, when we used to take pictures, we would take photographs and we would get a negative. Uh, the negative was always the opposite. So, so the, uh, what was dark in the negative is light in the photo, and what is light in the photo is dark in the. And, and you take the negative, and out of that you make the photograph. And so you begin with what you wished you had gotten and didn't get from your mother and it may be more of something so maybe and and maybe you you had a mother that was super critical so perhaps what you wanted and didn't get was more acceptance or maybe you had a mother that was um chaotic so what you wanted was more stability or maybe you had a mother that was very attentive when she was around, but she was working all the time. So you, you didn't get as much attention as you wanted. So, so you look and you list three things and we all do is say, why does she have to blah, 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 or why can't she blah, 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 right? We all do it. You list three things that you wished you had gotten and didn't get. And, and after you list those three things, um, then you use your imagination to imagine what it would look like and feel like to get that, right? You, you get to imagine the perfect mother just being there exactly in the moment you want her uh, and, and saying exactly the right words and you know, knowing exactly what it is you need to do and the kind of support you need. And you use your imagination. And then you go back to those three things that you listed and in front of each one of them, you write the words, I need to because those are your marching orders now so if you if you wanted a mother that was more attentive then that means i need to be more attentive of myself if you had a mother that was super critical and you wanted more acceptance i need to be accepting of myself no matter what no matter how many mistakes i make no matter how badly i screw up no matter whatever goals i don't accomplish i need to accept myself so you see what i'm saying that's how you create your own inner mother and that's it's like a personal was. therapy session thank you <laughs> <laughs> my mind is just thinking so many things i'm like yes i'm gonna do this now yeah, yeah i love that because people might be more familiar with the inner child concept exactly we look back at what our what our childhood self did not get and how we can give that inner child the comfort as we heal some of those childhood wounds. But the inner mother concept is more of a here and now. You know, what skills were not developed or what needs are not being met and then how can you meet those needs? And I often have my clients when I do some of this types of interventions that are related to your work also look at and what fears are keeping you mm -hmm. from doing that. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times there's that fear of, well, if I if I ask for that support, I might push people away because I'll be needy because that's what happened with mom. I asked mom for help and she would be bothered and she would push me away. So I have clients also look at some of the fears 
based on some of the childhood trauma or just their relationship with their own mother that are then getting in the way of having them develop this mother inside of them. Yeah. And so that's where it's, it's really a taking responsibility, not in a duty bound way, like, oh God, now here's more responsibility, but in terms of the ability to respond. So if you had a mother that, that um, uh, rejected you for being too needy, that means that you have to be impeccable in not rejecting yourself for your own neediness, right? So, so you can see where it just takes you exactly where, where you need to go without blaming your mother, without blaming yourself, but finding out, okay, and, and it's never a perfect match. Um, you know, I, I remember one time my sister came to, to visit and um, we were talking about our mom. And she said to me, she goes, well, you know, mom was never there. And I went, what? Mom was always there. Huh? And now we were, we're one year apart, right? We're, there's not that much difference. Wow. But my sister, this particular sister, I have a bunch of sisters, but this particular sister, she was more the touchy feely snuggle bug. Uh, she liked to play with dolls. And um, I was, I was a tomboy. I was like, I was out and about all the time. And so whenever I would come into the house, there was my mother sitting at, at the dining room table at the sewing machine. She was sewing our clothes. And so for me, she was always there. Every time I turned around, there she was. But for my sister, being there meant having her on her, you know, being on her lap or whatever. And so it's a very- Different needs. Totally. And we're born with different needs. And, and so, right. so, so, and our parents are different. And so then one time I overheard my own two daughters, they were arguing about me. And one of the, what the older daughter was complaining that I was just not available enough. And my younger daughter was complaining that I was too intrusive and that I just wouldn't give her space. And it was like, there we go. You know? yep. Same person. Yeah. Yep. Just yep. two percent. Well, I think that also gives, I think that also helps people give their moms some grace. Like your mother yes. was also human based on yes. maybe her mothering or her personality this is how she was relating to her role as a mother or as a wife or as a caretaker. And it's not that she did not purposely meet your needs is that maybe she wasn't capable because that wasn't in her toolbox or that just wasn't part of how she related to children or maybe because she was not mothered in that certain way. She did not realize that mothering meant other things. So I think giving your mother some grace by seeing her as a human. I have my clients try to see your mother as a human who was on her own journey. And just because she wasn't able to meet that need for you doesn't mean that you are not worthy of that need. Yes. yes. Or that need is not a valid need. It just means that because of who your mother was, maybe you guys didn't relate in that way, but you are you are born with your own set of specific needs. And so this concept of the inner mother is going, oh, I'm, I'm validating my needs and then I'm looking to meet them because my needs are worthy. Yes. And, and, it, and, it, and it's really, you can get those needs met. It's just, you can't get, you can't go to the hardware store for bread, right? You go to the bakery. <laughs> so, you know, you, you get, you can get those needs met, but you need to create an inner mother. The other thing is it gives grace to the mothers because, you know, 
we live in such an insane culture. You have to know how crazy it is that we don't support mothers. And so, so we have this idea of this super mother where we've got to do this and our kids have to be perfect in there and we have to get all this done. And then that leaves us depleted. And, and so it gives grace to this whole idea that no, there are multiple sources of mothering and you cannot be the be all and end all all the time. And, and guess what? You're not going to be the perfect mother for your kids either. It's not going to happen. You're going to do the best you can. Um, but, but the perfect mother only lives in the imagination. She's not in the external world. And that includes you, <laughs> right? Um, and, and we all have our limits. When, when I was working um, in, in my, I had a home office, a private practice. And I, what I noticed is whenever I yelled at my kids, I would go and I would count my appointments. Sure enough, every single time I went over 20, I yelled at my kids. So I went, okay, there we go. Those are my limits. And maybe my colleagues can see 30 or 40 or whatever, but I can't. That's otherwise I yell at my kids. So it's it's really, you know, really respecting that we we're limited um, in in you know in our human form. Um, and that the ideal mother it only is in the imagination, which is you know, not a bad thing, but you have to recognize where that energy is gonna come from. So I'm curious if you could speak to our listeners on how a mom can accept that she's not perfect while also holding on to the goal of self-care, both physically and emotionally. I think you're hitting on something that's really important. Um, because what we discover, first of all, being a mother is the most humbling experience in the world. No question about it, right? You will be humbled. But one of the, one of the most humbling lessons is um, our kids don't do as we say, they do as we do. So if you don't model for your kids how to mother yourself, um, it's going to be difficult for them to even get that concept. And so when it, whether it comes to feeding them food, if you're feeding them all the... Um, nourishing foods and then feeding yourself crap, they're going to see that. <laughs> That's not going to, you know, they're going to notice that. And, and the same in terms of um, your own soul food, right? If you don't give them that um, model for what it's like to nourish yourself, then they're going to have to struggle a little bit more to figure that one out. And so, so even though it may seem selfish, um, it's something that you do, I think, have to model for them and say, oh, this mommy time, I, I got to lie down and put my feet up because I need a break. You can come and sit over here, but I'm not going to take you here or there because um, I, I need to rest or whatever And I is. think also using language that identifies what your need is and how you're trying to fill it right now. I mean, my daughter is one that really doesn't like to be apart from me ever. And so whenever she sees my work bag out, mommy, please don't go to work. Why do you have to go to work? And I have to try to explain to her why work is important for me and why work is something that's important for our family. And this is a need that I have and a need that our family has. And so this is why I do it. And the other night after a long weekend of Christmas chaos, I told my husband after dinner, 
can you do bedtime? I'm going to go do a yoga class. I just need to recenter before the week starts. And the next morning, my daughter said, why did you have to go last night to go to the gym or go to yoga class? And I tried to explain exactly what my need was and why that really felt that met that need and why it was important for me. And mommy always comes back and mommy loves being with you. But at the same time, sometimes mommy needs to have these certain needs met and take care of herself in this way. So I think explaining that is also doing the the modeling and also giving them the emotional language. Right. And you'll see like, well, um, my, my, I remember one time my in-laws were visiting and yeah, my mother-in-law wasn't really good with boundaries. And um, my older daughter was very introverted. She needed her space. And I'll never forget, I walked by, she was in her room. She was, grandma, grandma, leave me alone. I need alone time. Grandma, I need alone time. And it was like, it was totally appropriate, you know, for her to say that. And so, but, but she, she, we had modeled that, you know, we had modeled alone time. And another time, oh, so my husband and I, we had, we had date night once a week. It was every Thursday night we went out and it was nothing elaborate, but it was just time for us. If it was an issue we needed to address, or if we just needed a break, or if it was, we wanted to go for a walk on the beach or go to a movie or whatever. And um, always, I mean, this was standard from the time the kids were born, right? But they would typically always go, oh, why are you going without us? You're going. And, and I just say, because it's our job. That's what parents do. And just to be just kind of matter of fact about it, it's like, well, well, yeah, but this is my job as a parent is to, is to go out like this. And, and so the more you can not have to um, defend yourself as though you're doing something wrong, as though you're being selfish. Um, that's mothering yourself and you are modeling mothering energy for them. I love that. I love looking at it like it's your job. Like, yes. you know, Rachel, you're saying I have to go to work because that literally is my job. That's bringing in money and whatever. And that's important for us to all live. But hey, P.S., I'm going to go sit in a room quietly by myself. And that's my job. And I'm going to go on a date night with dad because that's my job. And and I'm, I'm going to have go, alone time because that's my job. That's my job. Yeah. Like, I love that, that it's we don't need to defend it. And it's also like really important that we do right, these things. We have that mama Love guilt it. that comes up all the time. And what you're trying to explain is it's your job to take care of your children, but it's also your job to take care of yourself. And that's what we're trying to get across. The mother mothers you as well as others. And, and if, you, if you're only mothering others and not yourself, um, we know it's a matter of time before something's going to go wrong, whether your body's going to lay you down or you're going to get distracted and burn dinner or what. I mean, something's not going to work. Oh, I burn right? dinner every night because <laughs> my husband right, goes, right, right. you're always so distracted. You're trying to do the homework and unload the dishwasher and check your phone like you're doing way too many things. You burn dinner every single night. You'd be a great cook if all you did was cook. And I'm like, that's impossible for me. Can I just get takeout? <laughs> I think what you're talking about is a deeper spiritual experience that if moms do not do a lot of this work that goes all the way back to their childhood and their emotional development, and then today to their expression of that emotional development and meeting some of the deeper needs, then they're not only just going to have burnout, but they're going to have an disordered relationship with food. They're going to have unhealthy relationships. They're going to have unhealthy boundaries. And it's, it's such a bigger picture. 
Mm-hmm. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, and I would say that that is our job, right? Our job is to, uh, I think our job is to create our own inner mother, especially if you had a difficult relationship with the person that raised you that was your mother. Because if you don't, you're going to pass it on and not intentionally. But, you know, I mean, as a mom, I remember times I would open my mouth and the words that would come flying out of my mouth were the very things my own mother had said that I had swore I would never say. It's, it's so unconscious and unconscious means it's just out of your awareness. So it's really important to um, treat yourself, to mother yourself the way um, you want to be mothered and set that example for your children and they'll automatically pick it up unconsciously. For sure. I'm going to call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call her and tell her I love her and that I'm yeah. sorry for anything and that she did a good job or something. I don't yeah. know. But the, the, your kids will show you like uh, one time I got up and my kids had gone off to school and my daughter had left a, a note on the kitchen counter that said, mommy, when you said you would sign my permission slip and didn't, I got mad because you broke your promise. And I went, oh my God, she used the formula, the assertive formula. I mean, I didn't sit my girls down and teach them, this is how you express yourself. I spoke like that to them and it was like, oh my God, this is so great. She just, you know, expressed her needs and let me know how my behavior affected her feelings without attacking me. And, and, you know, it was like, I went, yeah, but it was, she just kids mimic. Hey listeners, Rachel and Tina here to share with you an exciting announcement. If you have been enjoying this interview with Anita Johnston and want to check out her book, Eating in the Light of the Moon, you can find it on Amazon or other places books are sold in print, audiobook, audio CD, or Kindle version. The awesome news is that we have partnered with her to do a book giveaway over our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram at Mom Jeans the Podcast or join our Facebook group, Mom Jeans the Podcast, to find out the details about the giveaway. But everyone, hurry. The giveaway launches the day after the podcast episode drops and is only open for six days. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just want to say thank you. And I think that that was absolutely amazing and such important information for our listeners and I don't know just even myself like I had said before like I feel like this is a personal therapy session because it's such amazing stuff in my mind's thinking and um so yeah just thank you so much I appreciate it yeah thank you so much I could listen to you talk all day long (laughs) and I'm totally fangirling over here because like I said (laughs) I have my dog-eared copy of your book with your signature on it that I carry everywhere and so I just, I love being able to spend this time with you because you always create such a sacred space. And that is, I think, such a great symbol of what we're trying to have mothers do is almost view their own role and their own internal relationship with themselves and their emotions as something sacred. And so I love that you always bring us back to that beautiful sacred place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so Anita, tell us where everyone can find you and blurb yourself here. Well, I'm all over the place. So I have my residential treatment facility on Maui. Um, And then I uh, do individual sessions, if anyone's ever interested, uh, DrAnitaJohnston.com. And then uh, my real joy is the Light of the Moon Cafe. So um, 
uh, it's an online course. There's some, there are some um, self-study courses that a person can take all by themselves. But then there's interactive courses where I, we have a forum and I respond to everyone's comments and we have live calls and we spend a whole week uh, in one of the courses on creating an inner mother and exploring that and how to do that. So it's really a lot of fun. And I'm in the process right now of creating a new course um, that's going to be the four faces of the feminine psyche, the maiden, the mother, the queen, and the crone, and how to, how to cultivate that within yourself so that you can find those energetic signatures um, and have all kinds of things available to you that you didn't know was possible. So um, that's, that's where to find me at, at, at lightofthemooncafe.com or drnitajohnston.com. Great. And we'll link all that so everyone can Oh, just... and also I am in, I have a new program starting up in Nashville, uh, the Integrative Life Center. Oh, so awesome. that's a, a, a intensive outpatient, PHP and residential. And you can find me in airports. <laughs> you travel a lot. If you see her, give her a hug. It might meet her needs at that moment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We just want to thank Anita for taking the time to talk with us. And we hope that you all listening felt the same power and connection that we felt while chatting with her. Learning how to nourish yourself is more than just relying on the modeling of your earthly mother but rather developing a strong inner mother. So our takeaway question for you today is, list three things that you wish your mother had given you and didn't. Then write, I need to, in front of each word so you can create your own inner mother and learn to meet those needs for yourself. We hope you all have a great week. Thank you for joining. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast. And join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.